1: You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5,
2: The Fan. Rolling along on a Friday. Happy Friday to you, Jake Query, along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. It is Kevin and Query on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. And, of course, it is the ultimate weekend for the NFL. And that means going to the guy who is probably as synonymous with this game as anybody. And, of course, in Indianapolis, you know him as the longtime kicker of the Colts future Hall of Famer, and perfectly fitting. Yesterday was National Pizza Day, Adam Vinatieri, but uh, we're just going <laughs> to extend that an extra day because DiGiorno's is making it possible for you to join us this morning. Good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate you. Uh, first off, you know, I I want to clarify this for you like once and for all because people have laughed at me forever on this, and I want you to tell me if I'm neurotic or if I am accurate, Okay. I have always said that, technically speaking, your name is Adam Venatieri And everybody's like, no, 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 it's Vinatieri. I'm like, no, I get that. But I think if you were to go through his lineage, it's Venetieri. Am I out of my mind?
3: You know what? I don't really mind how you, you know, my mom always said, why don't you correct them? And I said, as long as they're saying it, I really don't care if they're pronouncing it right or wrong, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, it's... we. We say Vinatieri, but I've heard a lot of people pronounce it with more enunciation. So if you want to call me Adam Vinatieri, knock yourself out. I don't mind either way. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, it is spelled like that. It is. I know. Italiano, Italiano, right? That's Italians like throwing vowels all over the place. So what are you going to do?
4: Not only future Hall of Famer, in my opinion, future first ballot Hall of Famer. He is Adam Vinatieri. And like Jake said, pretty fitting to have him on this week. Adam, I, I know in some way, shape, or form you've answered the question a million times, but... If you could walk us through the thought process on those two game-winning kicks that you had, and did you feel like, Super Bowl-wise, when New England was going down the field and you ended up kicking those two game-winners, did what you felt on the sidelines of those two kicks, was it any different than a game-winner in Week 13 against the Titans?
3: Well, yes and no. I, I honestly, I mean, the pressure and, and you know what's on the line. So if you really start to think about that, then it can be overwhelming. You know, I think before the game started and the pregame warm-up stuff, I, for me, was kind of that, you know, you, you're getting goosebumps and you're thinking about what's going on. But I think when the game starts, it almost just becomes a normal game, um, obviously with much larger stakes and, you know, bragging rights at the end if you win and all that stuff. But I tried not to think about, what it meant and more and just trusting the process of, you know, Hey, Adam, you've done this a million times in practice in the middle of July, that kind of thing. This is no different as far as the kick is concerned. Obviously, a lot more implications on what it means if you make it or miss it. But you know, for me, the only good thing about the the first uh, the first Super Bowl game winner is two weeks before that we played in the the divisional snowball game, and that one was very very difficult physically. So this one, when I got into that into the into the Super Bowl, I was like, no conditions. You know, it's a forty eight yarder, which is not a chip shot by any means, but you don't have to worry about wind and snow and crazy footing and all that stuff. So I re- really just kind of. You know, kind of just zoned in and thought more about my technique and you know my particular swing thought of what I normally do to prepare for a kick, and then at that point, you just trust your your body in the process you've done it a million times before you just kind of you just kind of go with it 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 sounds funny, but I mean, I can remember you know, what the guys were saying and doing on the field when we were getting lined up and what my holder said to me before I kicked and all that stuff. But it really is, it's really the the process doesn't change as long as you don't let your mind kind of mind screw you a little
1: bit. You know what I mean?
4: Jake, you know you've had a pretty good career when he has to clarify first That's right. Super Bowl game-winning right. kick, right? You know,
3: yeah. right. Well, the second one was a little different. You know, we were expected to win that game, and it came down End into the game, we're tied up, so that I would I would almost say that there was more expectation, so a little bit more pressure on that. the The first one when we were playing the the Rams, we were supposed to get our butts kicked, so we were the underdogs, and it was. We were playing from a different type of role, so just felt a little bit different as far as that's concerned. But there's nothing like winning your first Super Bowl. I mean, confetti coming down and everybody hugging and crying, and I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. It's super super badass.
2: You know, when you Adam, when you've been to multiple Super Bowls, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on this. And obviously, we have two franchises here in Kansas City and Philly that you know have a lot of guys that have played in multiple here. But which was I guess from from the first to the second. Which was the one thing that you think is the advantage for guys that have been through it? Just simply the stakes and the pressure of knowing everybody's watching that particular game? Or is it the week leading up to it, all of the media requests and family and ticket requests and all of the auxiliary stuff? Which one is more draining? 100% the second,
1: for sure. I think think you don't experience it's never like this except for
3: Super Bowl week. So every day your media obligations are lots and lots more and, and all of the, you know, the circus that comes around and, you know, the fanfare and the, you know, the security and all the, all the stuff that goes with it, not to mention your, your, your extra off the field stuff. You're trying to make sure all the family has their hotels and tickets and all, and usually don't have to deal with a lot of that stuff. So, you know, I think, I think good coaches and good staffs make sure that, uh, here, listen. We're gonna get. We're gonna help you out. We're gonna get this all done. So by Wednesday, when we start our regular week practice stuff, all that crap is already taken care of. So you can just concentrate and think about football. And then at that, you still have all of the the obligations and everybody talking about. You turn on the TV and everybody's talking about the game. So it's just the hype and the buildup. The week is so draining that you're about Thursday. You're ready to play the game, and you're just you just can't wait to sunday to get there so he can finally play the
2: game and get it going you know you know the story and it may be adam urban legend at this point i don't know but the famous story from the niners back in the day is that joe montana is they're getting ready to go on their drive against the bengals Mm. they're in the huddle Mm -hmm. and he says like hey man you guys see like john candy's in the stands and and that (laughs) loosened everybody right and everybody's like holy cow like this guy's cool and composed do you have a particular moment you can share at any point, in any of the games that you played in as a Patriot or a Colt, was there ever a moment you had where you thought to yourself, you know what, we're going to be all right because this dude's pretty loose or this team's pretty loose and that shows why?
3: Well, Brady was very much that way. I was never in the huddle with him, obviously. I mean, we weren't on the field at the same time, but I've heard a lot of stories about him, you know, talking and just being so calm and cool that that a lot of the guys around you don't get overly excited. Like, it's oh, it's just a normal normal thing. Now, guys that were on the field with me at the time, you, you obviously you guys know him being in Indianapolis. Pat McAfee is the biggest clown on the planet, and I say that in a good way. He was always keeping it lighthearted and funny and jawing to the other guys on the field or saying something, whatever. And and that, like for me, like everybody, you know, nobody understands or knows what what our communications are like, but sometimes it's just funny, silly stuff that gets kind of like, takes the pressure off and you just kind of giggle a little bit or whatever when we're out there. And, and then the next thing, you know, it's back to focus, but yeah, keeping it light usually helps a lot. The the pressure can get going. And if you can kind of just get that out of there and, and think about, uh, think about the process of doing your job, it makes it a heck of a lot easier. So yeah, there's a million different stories of, of what guys are saying and doing and that kind of stuff. And yeah, it, the, the, the most confident players and the best players are usually the funny ones that are out there that can, can be serious and and focused and yet have a good time when they're doing it as well.
4: As clutch as they come, he is Adam Benateri. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors hotline. And Adam, I know, um, When you look at the Colts' season this year individually, there weren't a lot of positives, but I would argue the biggest positive was the kicker, and that was Chase McLaughlin. And He's a free agent now, and I would say he's an important re-sign for the Colts. Uh, Chase took over for you there to end that 2019 season. Curious your thoughts on what you saw from Chase this season, and I know he's lived in Indy for several years now, if your guys' paths have ever crossed
3: we have we've talked several times we've we've actually worked out together at times um he's a he's a great human being and a very very good kicker as well so I think you're right I think he's a a definite re-sign back I think he had a really good year again and uh you know he's the right guy for the organization he does a he does a really nice job and and like I said he's not he's a quiet non-arrogant just he just goes out there and does his job and he does it very well and me being an old school guy, I kind of like that. I know a lot of people in this world, this day and age, are more concerned about their Twitter followers and how many people they've got this and this and this, and Chase has never been that way. He was always about you know playing good football and helping his team win, and that's exactly what you're looking for. If you, if you have a kicker, you want a kicker, you need a kicker, he's the type of guy that you definitely want.
4: Now, when you say work out, last few pictures I've seen of you, it looks like you're like <laughs> Luke Rhodes and Quentin Nelson with your workout plan here. Uh, care to share what, what, what the workout routine looks like for
3: Terry Because it doesn't look like your average kicker. Well, you know, here's the deal. You know, when, when you retire, you have a little extra free time. And with COVID a couple of years back, everybody sat around and ate and drank too much. And, and I got a couple extra pounds on me there for a while. I said, "Nope, I'm not going down that road. I want to be a, a good looking 50 year old, not a, not a dad bought 50 year old. So uh, you know, I just, uh, I just enjoy it. Uh, you know, it, it kind of helps me, you know, transition from football where you're, you're at the facilities for eight or 10 hours a day and you're working out every day and you're kicking and doing all that. Like for me, when I was at home sitting around, I was missing out on something and, I think working out and and lifting and doing that kind of stuff just really helped me kind of, even though I wasn't in the building, it kind of, it filled that hole that I was missing a little bit. And I really enjoy it. You know, my, my son is 19 and he thinks he's hot. He's hot to trot now. So he's trying to (laughs) overtake dad. So we've got a little bit of family competitive and I know there'll be a time really soon that he's going to, He's going to overtake me, but I'm I'm kicking and fighting every bit of that I can. I hope hopefully he doesn't get it for a couple years still. Good for you, Dad.
2: <laughs> okay. Speaking of family, er, and Adam Vinatieri, by the way, is our guest on the Payless Cigars Hotline. Speaking of family, Adam, I always want to test Wikipedia. Wikipedia is all knowing, as we know, but sometimes there are fibs in there. I have two family okay. anecdotes I want to run past you as fact or fiction in the annals of Adam Vinatieri. You ready? Okay. Yep. Um, either your great, I believe it would be your great grandfather essentially worked underneath custer but had his life saved because he did not go to the battle of bighorn fact or fiction
3: 100 percent truth yep he my great-grandfather great-great-grandfather came over from italy and joined the military when he when he hit ellis island and because that was kind of the, the the job that was available for immigrants at the time he was also a piano maker back in italy and composed his own music and stuff early in their time general george custer met him liked his music liked him as a person and made him General's uh, General Custer's bandmaster. So as they went across the Dakota territories and stuff like that they they the the band stayed back at the at Fort Meade before the Battle of Little Bighorn where all of the soldiers and everybody um, got killed and thank goodness I don't know if he had his children prior to that or after that but I very well may not have been here and ever broke any records in the NFL if he would have went on that fateful day. So that is Fact.
2: okay that is fascinating number one um and number two and by the way it adam aside from just the historical aspect of it the story of a piano maker coming to the united states and then fulfilling you know a dream for his family and then you become you know what i mean the whole story is it's kind of what it's all pretty about wild. right it's, it's yeah, what it's all yeah, about. yeah pretty well um okay secondly you are or are not related to evil knievel He's my mom. He was my mom's second
3: cousin. So I, if you want to go very far off on the on the family tree, yes, it, funny enough that I when he was still alive, he used to send Christmas cards and stuff back and forth. We would and he he congratulated me, wished me luck before some of the Super Bowls back in the day. So um, don't have a lot of uh, a lot of personal experience with him other than some phone calls and stuff like that i know his son rob and stuff i've I've met and talked to once or twice but uh yeah in fact very distant relative
2: but uh, i guess it's on the family tree out there a little way did you ever have the little toy that you wind up we're the same age i was born in 72 absolutely no doubt it would go like eight feet and fall over
3: <laughs> I had all poster on the wall with him on his. Oh yeah, oh yeah.
4: Absolutely. <laughs> Again, Adam and the future first bout Hall of Famer. He's with us here on behalf of DiGiorno's Doinks campaign. We'll get to him and Rob Gronkowski here in just a second. Adam, I I know you are you know still close with certainly a lot of Colts inside of that building, even some players that were your you know former teammate. Again, from afar, what did you feel like led to the demise this season?
3: um you know i i feel like they've got a lot of really good players there the skill levels there i thought the defense played you know fairly well kept them in the games and stuff i just you know for one reason or another i felt like the, that that they were lacking a little bit maybe in the leadership side of it maybe it, it's not just one thing you know it was always just a little bit you couldn't run the ball well enough so a lot of pressure on the quarterback you know they're you know, I don't want to. I don't want to point fingers at anything. I just feel like um, you know, leadership is a, is a huge thing. And every team that I've always that I've ever played for, that have won championships, have not only had good coach leadership, but player leadership too. Like you don't you don't have to tell a great player to go do this or to make sure they're on time or to go work out. These guys not only do it themselves, but they drag a couple of guys with them, so they elevate the team around. Peyton Manning, prime example of that. Tom Brady, prime example of that. And, and all the teams that I've played on had self motivating, you know, guys that wanted not only to be in the league and make money and all that stuff, but they wanted to take their team to the next level. And I, and I just, and I, I can't put my finger on it, I wasn't in the, the, the facilities, but I just felt like maybe just a little bit of lack of leadership might have been the, 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 the demise this year.
4: Okay, as we let you go, I know you've been practicing with Rob Gronkowski. That's 6'7", 260 pounds. Well, I I don't know what his playing weight is these days. Uh, For the $10 million kick via FanDuel that we will see on Sunday, Uh, give us your thoughts on Gronk as a kicker. Is he a toe basher at that size?
3: (laughs) Yeah, his form is not beautiful, I'm not going to lie, but he's not a, a natural kicker. He's got size 16 or 17 or 18 foot so it probably makes it a little bit more difficult but uh yeah he's kind of a mixture between soccer style and and uh toe bashing whatever uh when we worked together i tried to coach him up a little bit and then i realized listen i'm not going to turn him into an nfl kicker Uh, we just need to make a kick when it counts so (laughs) we've been working a little bit i uh, you know he's a he's a professional that wants to do well so i think he's going to go out there and and make his kick, and hopefully a bunch of people, uh, you know, make a bunch of m- bunch of money from FanDuel. So that's all. And here, and with the with the campaign I'm doing right now with DiGiorno's Doinks, um, any any kick, field goal, or PAT missed, or, or that Doinks the upright doesn't matter if they miss it or make it. Uh, DiGiorno's is given free pizza, and the only reason nice. I put those together, well, and then yeah, all you have to do is visit DiGiorno'sDoinks.com for a chance to be a part of that, and. I'm finding out because since he's kicking in the middle of the third quarter, I'm just curious if he doinks it. I, you know, I'm getting, I got to find out by legal. But uh, I think, uh, I think yeah. people should get some free pizza if he doinks yeah. it too. But he, he better doink it. But he better make it too, though. So, All right, Harrison <laughs> Bucker. Coach, so dang it, he better do it. <laughs> hey,
2: Vanderjet did that on Monday Night Football in Tampa. You doink it, it goes through. It's still three points. That's right. Exactly Jake, right.
4: Jake Elliott, Harrison
3: Bucker it, I, drunk. Sorry.
4: No, I was just going to say, we got to be cheer, cheer for the kisses from Harrison Butker and Jake Elliott coming up on Sunday.
3: That's exactly right. And if they double-doink it and kiss it in, I don't think they get double pizza. I just think it's just <laughs> – just, don't 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 uh, look a gift horse in the mouth. Just enjoy your pizza. <laughs>
4: Amen. Hey, no better person to have on 48 hours before Super Bowl Sunday than the clutchest of all time. That is Adam Benatieri. Adam, safe travels back to Indy, and we'd love to have you on again uh, here coming up later this year.
3: You betcha. Thank you, guys. Take care.
2: Now this was a Super Bowl halftime show that people mocked, right? Wasn't he like in the House of Mirrors? He's lost in the
4: House of Mirrors. Yeah, the right. weekend. Yeah, yeah. That was, it was that was an interesting one. It was pretty tri- pretty trippy. And then he had the bandage, of the bloody noses, and the like the plastic surgery bandages and stuff. Mm-hmm. I do feel like show. this like song though gets kind of all the age groups bobbing their head. Oh yeah, it's a good song. My my five year old loves this song. Like Tony East might be doing it right now. He might just be glad that the trade deadline is over. Uh, Tony East is on the Payless Liquors Hotline, f- uh, SI.com. You can see his written work and locked on Pacers, the podcast. Tony, it was um, it was a complicated day for the Pacers, at least I think to the common foe and honestly to, I think, even you know diehard fans trying to make an explanation of it all. So as best you can and as elementary as you can, explain how the Pacers were able to acquire Jordan Nora, uh three sec- second round picks and not give up any players trade wise.
5: Yeah, they had to uh, they had to have three roster spots to get three players from the Bucks. So in total what happened is they waived three guys, which was Gogo Batadze, Terry Taylor, and James Johnson, uh, three guys who who don't play much for them this season. And then they took in three players from the Bucks in the deal that got the Bucks Jake Crowder <laughs> from a different team, and so they got like you said Jordan Wara, uh George Hill, former Pacer, most know who he is, and uh, Serge Ibaka, a veteran big man who has played for a couple teams. They get three second round picks uh, for doing so. Uh, that, that you know they take some salary that presumably the Bucks and Nets and Suns did not want. Uh, those teams are all paying luxury taxes here, so they can shed some money. The Pacers get some picks for their where their cap space Pacers also get some cash uh, from the Nets. And so uh, Pacers get three assets and three players in exchange for their three players. I think that makes sense from a business perspective, even though it was complicated and they had to weigh three different guys to facilitate it all.
2: So basically, Tony, and I know that one of the things that they the Pacers gave up with the draft rights to a guy that was drafted in 2015 that's been bounced around this guy's draft rights have been, I'm talking about Juan Pablo, I believe it's Vuelta is how you say his name, but so essentially for those to simplify this, you tell me if this is a correct statement. The Pacers were rewarded with some draft picks and if they so choose the service of a few players because they were willing to alleviate financial hits from other franchises. Thus they didn't have to give up a lot to be able to do so because they were willing to get out their checkbook to make things easier on those other franchises in the meantime.
5: That's how that's how I would interpret it. I don't know for a fact that none of the teams involved in this fourteen trade because technically this is Looped into the Kevin Brandt deal, and then a bunch of other stuff gets swapped around, and the Pacers end up with this stuff, and so that's how I would assume the case went down. Because you know it, it, they they waived three players and acquired three players. Right? If somebody wanted in this trade the three players that the Pacers cut, they would have just sent them to one of Phoenix, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee. So that is why my assumption is that you know by by taking on the money that is no longer going to be paid by a tax team, the Pacers get paid in in second round picks and potentially guys that. That could, you know, be something for them on the court, particularly in given that he's 24 and plays power forward. Um, but, yes, that is, a, that is a fair way to describe it, I would say.
4: Okay, again, Tony East is with us. T. East, NBA, on Twitter. Are we under the assumption, Tony, that Serge Ibaka will never play for the Pacers? Uh, that
5: is the assumption, yes. Uh, Shams Trani reported that yesterday uh, before anything even got announced. They still had to clear a roster spot to bring him in, but it sounds like, you know, what what trades get announced and then guys have to complete physicals elsewhere for it to officially be totally complete. But once I think it's it's totally done and everything like that, uh, I I would assume at this stage that Ibaka will be waived the second they they technically can. Uh, And he will not. I don't even know if they'll show up in Indiana. I don't know for for a fact either way. But uh, if they're playing on waving, there's no real point.
4: Okay. And then James Johnson could be brought back. I think you had that report after these things go through. Um, the other item to note will be George Hill. Um, I guess kind of twofold with George Hill. Do you expect George Hill to stay here? Slash, do you expect him to play? And should he play if he is on the Pacers roster?
5: It sounds like he's staying uh, right away. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. You know, and he only makes four, four million for the for this year. So whatever one third of that is for the rest of the year. Uh, he is not. He doesn't contribute much for the Bucks this year. Clearly, you know, on the decline. He's thirty-seven, right? Like he, he'll be the oldest Pacer for the rest of the season. But is a good vet. Been on some finals teams. Played on a ton of very good teams. Like he's bounced around several contenders for years and years because guards who can kind of shoot and kind of defend are still pretty valuable. As for the pay, playing on the Pacers specifically, you know, I, I wouldn't play him over any guard they have right now. Uh, so I don't know that he'll play. It doesn't really make sense for him to, to get minutes. I don't know who you'd take minutes from to get him on the court, but they did need point guard insurance, right? Like when they were missing Halliburton, they had to play, you know, sometimes Trevlin Queen or James Johnson as point guard for a few minutes a game just to get by, and those minutes didn't work very well. So I suppose that, that they have some injury insurance now, and as for Hill sticking for, you know, a while, again, I don't know how long his, I won't be here. I haven't really done it. I remember that. I'm so sure that they got any. Tyrese Howard, he started at first. I think he played game five games with the Pacers, helped to get a win, and then was bought out. Ended up getting more money to to join the Bulls. So perhaps it's, it's something like that could happen with George Hill. But it's also possible they just keep him the rest of the season and let him ride it out as a vet. He still certainly loves Indiana. It's in his name on Twitter. His name on Twitter is still Indiana George Hill, even when he was with the Bucks. So. Uh, he certainly has an affinity for this market and perhaps could be a valuable veteran for this team.
2: Tony, let me tell you one thing that's not of concern to me but gives me a little pause, and I think that Pacers fans may be surprised by this. I want you to tell me if you agree or disagree. James Johnson's a guy that I think a lot of people looked at and said, why is this guy on the roster? He's like 50 years old. He's played for like 15 teams. He doesn't play a lot for the Pacers. Um, he was kind of like the the uncle Of the roster. And I think some of those young players really liked him, looked up to him, and I think that he kept that locker room intact. Not that it needed that, but I'm saying he was a glue guy, to use that buzzword. And I'm curious to see how the locker room reacts by his departure. Your thoughts?
5: He is definitely all those things you described. Like a lot of times you ask young players, you know, has any veteran been been helpful for you, who's kind of helped helps guide your transition to the league, who's been good for you, and all of them, say okay, James Johnson this year. Even veterans on the team talk about James Johnson in a way that's like, you know, this guy's a great leader. And when we talked to James Johnson, he talked about how he learned all these these leadership skills and blue-out skills from Udonis Haslam when he played uh, for the Heat for a few years. He has been extremely valuable to this team in that way. Like, they, they wanted him for that exact role. Carlisle knew what he could provide from there overlap in Dallas, so uh, I don't, you know, it's never great to have to waive a guy, even if it's procedural, but it sounds like they would, they, they can and, and have the if he clears waivers, because they had to cut him to make this trade, if he clears waivers and doesn't get scooped up by someone else, it, it sounds like they have interest in just signing him again with the roster spot created by waving Ibaka, and I think it's because of all the things he's provided for this team, you know, in the locker room, guys always say that he's the best at pick-me-ups, and he you know, just knows what to say, doesn't take crap from anybody. And I think that's super valuable on a young team that, you know, Rick Carlisle talks so much about how important this team's culture is and how it's a daily fight to to keep it how it is and how, how important it's been for their surprising start. I think he's the guy that they would like to have back as, as soon as they, they possibly can because he's been so valuable for their team.
4: Again, Tony East is with us, SI.com, uh, Locked on Pacers podcast. You've heard Tony on our shows a lot here over the last few weeks. He's done an outstanding job in previewing and now reviewing this trade deadline. All right, let's focus on Jordan Ora here for a second. And, you know, I recall him at Louisville. This is a guy that can shoot it for sure. He's got a really good-looking shooting stroke. I didn't realize he was six eight. to be totally honest with you, <laughs> Tony. That's pretty tall. Um. I'm not sure though if he can guard really anybody. Uh, would you say that is kind of the description on a guy that will give this bench unit some spacing that they
1: probably could use?
5: Yeah, I think he's the most interesting piece they acquired in terms of you know if someone they got's going to pop or be the swing guy that makes this look really good for them at Tim. Right? He's only 24, so so still young. Definitely within their their age range and timeline. He's got a year left on his deal after this, so they get plenty of time to kind of evaluate he could be. You're right, I had, you know, at Louisville, two-time all-ACC guy, uh, 18 points per game his last year there, and was pretty good on the glass in college. But shot 40% from deep in college and is been about 38% in his NBA career. I think that's the appeal of him is that thing you said, that sweet-looking shot, he's a good shooter. But, yeah, the the defense is something to think about. He's, he's kind of skinnier for a six foot eight player. not like he can really... He's physical at that spot in a way that sometimes like O'Shea Brissett, for example, can, um, he's a good, like team, def- not good. He's like a fine team defender. I would say he can, he can read what's going on and be in the right spots. And he's pretty mobile. He's kind of fast, but he's not, he's not going to solve a ton of their problems in terms of defending bigger wings. In fact, he probably won't solve any of those problems, but, uh, he's a better option than a lot of the guys they, they, they could throw out there just because he's six, eight, right. It's, it's, it's crazy how important Height is for this team that has no natural forward. So certainly a flawed player and someone that could just turn out to be kind of nothing for them. But he he is the most promise of anyone they acquired and at least could be in their rotation going forward.
2: You know, Tony, Tony East, by the way, is our guest on the Payload Sickers Hotline. I found this interesting yesterday. This had to be the highest number of second-round picks I've ever seen thrown around. Across the league, every trade had multiple second-round picks being thrown around. And I remember when the, you know, there was a time when the NBA draft was 10 rounds. Then it was 8, then it was 6, then it was 3, now it's 2. Are we gonna see a time actually where the NBA just does away with the second round altogether and it literally is a one round draft and then undrafted free agents? No way, no way.
5: <laughs> I think that they like having the number of guys that come into the league right now, two team two pick slots per team just makes a lot of sense and But nobody kind of seems to then.
2: covet having second round picks. You
4: gotta get those guys coming out of the crowd, you know, when they get drafted in the second round.
2: No, that's true. But but you get what I'm saying though. Like it... it I agree that there is value. I mean, Andrew Nimhorn's a prime example. If you hit on one, it's a really good hit. But it seems like teams don't covet it anymore to be able to have those picks.
5: Sort of. I mean, I I think the flip side of the argument that you're making is like, sure, a lot of second round picks were traded away, but it also means the same amount were traded for, right? Like, some team had to want them to complete these deals in full. And you know, it, it, it's interesting because, like, sometimes on draft night, the late second rounders can literally just be, like, bought you know, from another team or, or acquired for nothing. But some of these good ones turn out to be something, like you said, with Nimbard. And all it takes is, you know, I, I don't know what percent chance teams give themselves on hitting on a second-round pick. It, it's got to be, you know, 20%, 15% or something like that. But, you know, you get five second-rounders over a few deals over a couple years, and boom, like, you have the odds say you'll hit on one of those and get a useful rotation player in your trade. And I don't think teams were willing to give up first this year, like, literally all of deadline day yesterday, which had almost 20 trades. The only first round pick movement was the Rockets getting a first round pick swap in their Eric Gordon trade that will move them up like six or seven slots. You know, it doesn't sound like first round pick draft equity was even like available <laughs> in trade yesterday. But teams took these seconds, not because I mean, look, yes, they're not like the most valuable thing ever, but the, the, they facilitated a lot of stuff yesterday. That's the value of second rounders. And so maybe they aren't the, the draft part itself isn't the super appealing part for teams, but it's more about just having assets to move around to deals, but it takes two to tango, right? So yes, they were given away a lot, but also some team had to want them and receive them to to make these trades happen. So I think they still have some value these days.
4: Tony, I did want to talk about Gogo Batadze, and obviously the tribute video for him will be probably him and Greg Foster getting into it. That'll probably be the biggest highlight on the old tribute video. But, you know, when you look back at Gogo's career, I, I'll never forget the night they drafted I'm like, wow, they drafted a European guy with the top 20 pick. The Pacers don't often do that and I think if you do that what you're saying is we have to make a commitment to him at some point with playing time like if you're going to draft a guy from overseas you've got to commit to him and I was looking at it yesterday in Goga's four seasons here he played 20 minutes in three straight games only three times in four years and if you look at those three sample sizes albeit again just three games but he averaged like 14-6, 13-8. Fourteen and six, 13 and eight. I think one of them he averaged seventeen and six. Trust me, he looked lost on the defensive end of the floor. But I don't feel like they ever gave Goga like the month or two month evaluation that, in my opinion, you have to give a guy if you're going to spend a top twenty pick on him, or else he should never be drafted in the first place.
5: Yeah, I agree with with everything you just said. Right, and it, it's something interesting with Goga that he's always talked about in his time here that. He feels like he plays better when he knows an opportunity is going to be there, or he knows a consistent role is going to be there. And on one hand, yes, that like the numbers show that that's that's true and good. That even at, like after the All Star break last year, he was their their backup center every game. and He was fine. Like he was he was a pretty good player. That was the best stretch of his career. On the other hand, it's sort of a little bit of a negative that he can't just be like plug and play at any time, right? Like you, you have to have more structure for him to be good. But either way, you know when you pick a guy top 20, like you said, I think you have to find some sort of plan to have them out there at some point. And I, maybe when they picked him, they thought that would be the case, right? Like he's their third big, if there's an injury, he could play, but it's kind of some of those incremental things that I thought were strange in Gogas' career. Like Jakar Simpson was playing instead of him as their third big for a lot of his first and second seasons. And then they pick Isaiah Jackson, which again is fine. He's good, but, Now you're burying the guy you picked in the first round a few years ago, and then they had Jalen Smith. Like it just kept happening and happening. Where in a vacuum, every move they made made sense, but it also made their pick in 2019 make way less sense. And they never gave him the opportunity to to improve. And granted, maybe they saw something in practice and said, "No, we don't. We aren't ready to put him out there or anything like that." I don't know that, but uh, yeah, you have to. I think there's a lot of questions to be asked about that pick. What the plan was for it to happened on the floor, because it, it, it never did, obviously, and uh, the, the steps along the way that led to them just cutting it in the middle of his third season. like That's definitely the most painful part of this is the process of now just completely waving your top 20 pick, and maybe you think somewhere else, right, T.J. Lee got another shot in Portland after the Pacers moved on from him, but we'll, we'll see what happens with Goga here, but uh, yeah, there were a lot of, of interesting decisions and steps between him getting drafted and yesterday.
4: All right, last one for me. And again, Tony East. Uh, you can see his work, writtenwise.si.com, podcast locked on Pacers. Um, ESPN Zach Lowe had this about Indiana and their pursuit of OG Ananobi yesterday. Zach Lowe said Indiana offered three first round picks plus the Rockets' second round pick, the Pacers have, which right now is the first pick in the second round. Um, Are you, and I think Zach Lowe is super credible, so that's why I I point this out. Are you surprised the Pacers Pacers offered that much for Ananobi? Basically four picks in the top 31. Slash, are you surprised the Raptors said no?
5: Interesting. I hadn't heard that one yet or dove in, so you're getting me thinking out loud kind of here. Am I surprised the Pacers offered that? Not really, because... The the three of those four picks, assuming it's their entire draft this season, are are not that great, right? T- whatever the Cavs are going to be, twenty five, twenty six, 26, picks presumably thirty, Rockets thirty one. You know, those, those are good. I mean, they're first, but they're not great. Their own pick is is great. So that's like one really good asset for Ananobi, and so. I understand them offering it because you, know, you trade your draft for Ananobi. That's, that's a good trade. He's a good player. They could consider renegotiating and extending him a out. Miles Turner in the offseason if they got him. Like, there could be a lot of ways that that could work out for them. And he, he He's a perfect fit. And There's a reason he's been talked about with the Pacers uh, in trade season. Uh, he's a perfect fit. Fantastic player, obviously, with IU. Um I, I think that I heard reported from other ESPNers that the Raptors interest in in dealing any of their young talent or any of their talent really was. They wanted good young players, not necessarily picks and I don't know that the Pacers could have stepped up to the table with any good young player that made sense to include in a deal like that that they'd be willing to part with or anyone that was actually good enough to be in that tier to make the Raptors make that make that deal actually happen. But uh, I'd I, I have to dig into to where Declan said that. Because, uh, because I would I guess I'd leave that. But um, I think that makes sense from an offer, from a Pacers perspective, if they truly wanted Ananobi. But I get why the Raptors, who uh, are having a very strange season and a strange deadline, would say, no, we want valuable players and not just a chance at them in the draft. So I get why the Pacers offered an and i understand, I guess, why the Raptors declined. it.
2: Was there anybody else, Tony, that it surprised you they weren't moved? Because sometimes... We hear a ton about a player that's on the block, and then nothing happens, and then you wonder, like, "Well, was that all just smoke? Was there anybody else that jumped out at you?" You're like, "That's interesting." That I heard a lot about him up to the deadline, and then radio silent.
5: And John Collins again, right? <laughs> every year for him uh, with the Hawks, he has the the Miles Turner syndrome of being in trade deadline headlines every year and never being moved. The thing with Collins is a little different. You know, he's been talked about ad nauseum. From the Hawks, and even I think was linked to the Pacers by a few reports out there, um, through through this trade deadline processes, they they switched front offices in Atlanta during the season. Landry Fields their GM now, Kyle Korver uh, in their front office now. I think some of their ownership group's uh, sons and friends are in that front office group. But either way, when they when they switched it over, I don't know that they had the same feelings about moving Collins or the asset return required to get him, but. Uh, he had never really had the role that I think he thinks he should have in Atlanta. And they've never really been the team that they would hope they could be with him on the court. So there's always been the talk of, of the the Hawks trading John Collins. But he's got this massive contract now, $125 million over the next couple of years that uh, he didn't get dealt again. And I, I think that was pretty surprising to most people who thought he'd be on the move. A couple of Hornets guys like Kelly Oubre, I thought, might get traded. Terry Rozier, I thought, might get traded this year. Neither of them. Ended up getting dealt. So there were some, there's always a few guys that you're like, huh, why couldn't that crappy team get anything for their veteran? But, you know, you never know what the offers are, and that's why some of these guys end up staying.
4: Okay, Tony, we'll end with this. Sorry I lied. Uh, 4.30 today, Kevin Pritchard going to meet the media. I guess just the, the final kind of bows on all of this will be, does Ibaka get waived or when does he get waived might be the better way to put it. Is James Johnson brought back, and what exactly is the role for George Hill? That's pretty much what we're watching for.
5: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, if they think New Orleans gonna play every day, it would be something I'd be interested in as well. Or if they view him kind of as a depth piece at forward, because yeah, they're not gonna talk about stuff they didn't do <laughs> and were offered. So I think of the of the concrete moves they made. Yeah, those would be the questions that I think uh, I would like to hear answered today.
4: T East NBA on Twitter. Tony, great work. I know the trade deadline, uh, you know, there are aspects of it that you love, aspects of it that you hate, um, I understandably, but appreciate you entertaining all of our questions and recapping it today with us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. Greg Gregstraw joins us right now, and I guess...
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up,
4: Speaking of purple, let's begin in kind of chronological order. Two very big, seemingly, high school storylines to get to with Greg Gregshaw. I only got a few minutes with Rake today on this Friday morning. But let's start with the news. Rake over at Ben Davis with Jason Simmons stepping down, the head football coach there. I think I saw a report yesterday that he's off to Miami, Ohio to be an assistant coach for uh,
1: Chuck Martin over there. Uh, I believe that is what is going to happen. Um, I know he has a, a college move that gets announced next week, and that is one of the places that had been speculated, and I think there's some ties there. Obviously, he is an alum, and I know there have been conversations about this in the past, so expect expect some, something official on that next week, but that is probably his likely landing spot, yes.
2: So pardon my naivete here, Greg. Have they already internally elevated that position or filled that position, or is Ben Davis looking?
1: Ben Davis is looking. There are some some candidates on that current staff, but I would imagine that uh, that they will be uh, looking because that will be a job that will be highly in demand. They have some significant talent that is returning. Uh, They've got a player like Mark Zachary, who we've talked about on the basketball team, who's a sophomore, Already has offers from Purdue and Duke. They've got a linebacker in Nylan Brown that has multiple Division One offers. Um, they've had a sophomore running back that, that was one of the best running backs in the area last year, and they've got a likely MAC level quarterback coming back as a senior in Thomas Gotkowski. So they are going to be one of the better teams in the state next year. So it will not be hard to find someone to uh, to be the next head coach at
2: Ben Davis High School. Hey, Thomas, if he's a MAC player, could go to Miami, right? Natural In, transition.
1: He, yes, he could absolutely, but uh, he's got he's, he's got to wait a year to get that uh, you know diploma from Ben Davis High School.
2: Greg Le- Greg Ragsar, by the way, from ISC Sports Network is our guest. He's on the Payload Siggers Hotline. Uh, the big story yesterday, and one that I think has yet to really clear itself out, but that is the the letter that essentially was sent from Carmel to Center Grove saying that that contractually that relationship from a sports standpoint carmel was wanting um to free itself from that we already know about the fact that these are the two schools that left the M.I.C. what goes into this what's the backstory here on carmel and center grove
1: so there there was an incident at the end of their boys basketball game the first friday in february uh in terms of some crowd control and, and things like that after a after a Senator win. Um, I did some digging and it's and it's more than that. Uh, it's it's not just that. It's kind of an accumulation of things. It's about all that I have gotten at this point. Uh, but the obviously the largest ramification uh, is is for football. You know those two teams that played for the Copper Kettle uh, had become a rivalry game. and had become a week three staple last year to accommodate both teams playing Trinity out of Louisville. It was a Week Two game. It was going to be a Week Two game this year as well. And simply put, it was a game that drew seven, eight, nine thousand people every time they got together. And it was a game that oftentimes was a potential state championship preview. And now that game is already off the table. Uh, Carmel has already filled it. They've not announced uh, whom they're going to be playing in Week Number Two. So the schedule has already been covered from the Carmel perspective for Center Grove, It adds to the problem that they have. Carmel has maintained relationships with the with the teams that they were formerly conference rivals with in the MIC for the most part. But Center Grove has several open dates on their calendar. They had announced they're going to be playing over in Massillon, Ohio at Paul Brown Stadium to open the season August the 19th. But now they're looking for week two and looking for other multiple dates to fill their schedule as well.
4: So, Rick, let's kind of recap the last 12 months or so with Carmel and Center Grove. They leave the MIC. Um... They tried to get into the HCC conference, which think Donut County schools with that, the Avon, Brownsburg, HSC, Fishers, Westfield, etc. They don't get accepted to that, so now they're both independents. But as independents, they kind of had still agreed, we're going to play each other
1: in every sport? More or less. Uh, and and so, you know, football last year, basically teams were writing out the last year of two-year contracts. So even though Senator Grove and Carmel we're not conference opponents those games were under contract and again both schools have been working to try to maintain as many of those games as possible but also finding you know alternative competition uh, as, as part of that as well uh, and and Senator Grove and, and Carmel basically said Let's, we're gonna play each other in every sport and now that is no longer the case um, again in in basketball for example um, Carmel's schedule largely looked like what it was. A year ago, with maybe a change or two, uh, for Center Grove that was not the case. They did not play any of the Mick teams in basketball this year, with the exception of Warren Central, whom they played in the third place game of the Phil Cox tournament, the holiday tournament that is up in Kokomo. Uh, but they completely changed their schedule, and to some degree, a lack of traditional success at Center Grove, as well as the fact. They're not even in the Indianapolis or Southport Regional. They are in sectional 13. They go south. So they're playing a lot more schools that that typically they would see from a postseason path standpoint. The real sport that this impacts, it's easy to pick up an extra game in soccer or baseball or volleyball trying to find the schools that will play you in football. That is a different argument altogether And again, because of the tradition and strength of that Center Grove program, they may be going the cathedral route. In other words, they may be playing as many out-of-state schools as they are playing in-state schools because it's just becoming very difficult for them to find somebody in Indiana that wants to play them.
4: Rick, I was talking with someone last night, and they basically said from the Carmel side of it, their message is continuing issues with Center Grove student-parent administration behavior. Is that kind of what you're hearing as Carmel's message? And and, and
1: and again, the the thing that was driven home to me when when I didn't have a, a a long conversation on this subject, but the the message that was delivered to me was this was more than just what happened at the end of the boys' basketball game in January.
2: Interesting, uh, Greg. I know it's a busy Friday for you, so appreciate you know that was a big story that really kind of became in the forefront yesterday afternoon so wanted clarification knew you were the guy for it appreciate the time we'll talk to you next week all right you got it guys take care and, and kevin just so you know i'm actually
1: just yelling at you uh from like outside of the building i'm not you. actually on the phone gosh right you are now, so.
4: rake you're, you're up and at it early on this friday morning what's what's on the agenda
1: so uh, i am hanging with several of Jay Query's colleagues this morning there's a there's a a day uh each year where guys like myself, uh, Lance Scheib, Dave First are all hanging out with Mark Janes. So what we're having this conversation from the parking lot of Monrovia High School. I am literally just pulling in because now we're gonna be uh judging Super Bowl presentations from all of oh, that. these cool.
2: multimedia classes. That is so, very cool. Tell Mark ah. I said hey. That's awesome. Well done, boys. Thanks, right as well. And Lance, three really good guys.
4: Uh, the great Greg Rakestraw right there. That is some drama, Jake, uh, to say the least, between Carmel and Center Grove. Again, it sounds like this is more of Carmel withdrawing from this sort of relationship. But as Rake points out, and I know we hit on this a lot earlier in the year when Carmel and Center Grove withdrew from the Mick, I'm just disappointed that we're seeing such isolation from the biggest schools here in the metro area. I think there's a lot of benefit from Carmel and Center Grove, being in the mix. those experiences with playing other schools like that. I was disappointed when that news broke. And now, I I don't think this is the greatest news in the world.
2: I, I remember saying, Kevin, when those two schools, for those that are unfamiliar, Carmel and Center Grove, both, obviously everyone knows this, Hamilton County, epicentered school to the north, Johnson County, Uh, you know, marquee school to the south. And in the MIC, you have schools like North Central and Warren Central and Ben Davis, you know, Marion County schools. And Indianapolis is a unique place because ever since Unigov came about in the mid-70s, you know, in Indianapolis, I mean, essentially you have Marion County and then the Donut Counties itself. And, That's not to say that it became, obviously, like a a segregated city. I mean, that would be a a horrifically irresponsible thing for me to say. However, I, I did feel like my concern when Carmel and Center Grove left the MIC was that it was an isolation against playing those schools within Marion County, and I don't think it was for this reason at all, but what it then denied the young people at Carmel and Central Grove is that the reality is the real world is made up of people different than you. And high school athletics, yeah, it's great to win championships and get medals and all of that. At its core, high school athletics, like any experience extracurricular-wise in form of high school, is about preparing yourself for the real world and becoming an adult that is adaptable within the real world. And I know that it's uncomfortable for some people to think about with their kids, but the reality is that in the real world, there are people that look different than you, speak different than you, pray different than you, act different than you, come from different backgrounds. And The earlier that young people are able to see that and become aware of that, the more acclimated they're going to be to integrate themselves within the real world. And I'm not saying that Carmel and Center Grove were denying their kids that opportunity intentionally by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think that's the case. But the byproduct of them not playing suddenly and continuing on-field or on-court rivalries with those schools means that, I mean, when I went to IU, Kevin, I'm sure the same thing happened to you. You know, I couldn't stand Ben Davis. Couldn't stand Ben Davis when I was a high school student because we played him all the time, and they beat us. They were really good, right? And then... You get through sports, you get to know the kids from that school, and you realize, like, you know what? These guys are from a totally different neighborhood, but really, in reality, they're from the same place I am. They like to do the same things with their buddies. They have the same interests. They got the same worries and concerns with school, and that was a really good thing for me to learn at a young age, that just because people I thought were different than me because they were from another side of the city, I was able to learn through experience that they actually were the same. That was the most valuable thing that I learned through high school and through sports. And leave and that lack of intermix in the Mick, I thought, was, was really disappointing. Really disappointing. But in this case, I don't know the background, but if, if what Greg is saying is correct and that Carmel was not pleased with things involving the parents or the behavior or the actions of people at Center Grove... And I think there are really fine people at Center Grove. I want to make very clear that. I'm not condemning anybody or saying it's factual. But if that's what they believe, then I have to applaud them for standing for what they believe to be, from a morality standpoint, the right thing to do.
4: I know there's some uh, videos out there. Uh, Certainly, Facebook would be a great source for that. From the Center Grove Carmel basketball game that Rake was referencing with us. Um, You can find those out there. Center Grove storming the floor. Looks like some interaction from their coaching staff might be putting it politely um so yeah just disappointing to see um on all fronts
0: life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Ashley
4: Dyked in on her feet right now, Mark. Oh
1: man, she loves this song.
4: Now, Maddie Bowen will be loud and very, very proud when Rihanna takes the stage. Coming up, what, probably 8-ish on Sunday night. That is your halftime act. It is a six thirty kick from Arizona. Babyface on
2: the N- America the Beautiful or the national anthem. America the Beautiful. America the Beautiful. Kenneth Edmonds. It's
4: a little bit of Indiana flavor. Second we'll most famous
2: graduate of North Central High School.
4: There. Um, Storylines. Keys. Really curious to see the Eagles' defensive line. I think it's been such a good unit for them. So deep. Can they get after Mahomes? You know, I mentioned it earlier, Jalen Hurts' his shoulder. I don't f- feel like he was asked to do a whole lot throwing it so far in the playoffs. That, to me, is a big one.
2: You know, I, I keep thinking Philadelphia's been the best team all year. And it's hard to go against the team that has played the best all year. But I think Mahomes is a, just a wizard. And, you know, Kansas City fan Steve that calls in the program and his little dog Milton that wears his Chiefs. Uh, collar I I'm gonna go against what I've said all along I, I think Kansas City does win it I don't I, I think it'll be close I think it's I think it's gonna be a great game because both team and by the way um they will call heads it will be heads winning team will defer
4: will you uh throw a score on it for us
2: you said close 2724 Kansas City
4: Mark Philly's slight favorite yeah, I've been uh, debating this the whole time, like it's, leading up to Super. Bowl. Like, hard to I don't know. know who I. You can yeah. talk yourself into either team. Yeah, either I team. I, I'm gonna go. I'm throwing it a dart. I'm gonna take the Eagles just based on their defense. Give me the Eagles, 28. Chiefs, 27. Boy, I would sign up for either of those just from an entertainment standpoint. Based off the score, I again part of me is like, Kevin, you're an idiot for saying this. You're an idiot for betting against. Um, Patrick Mahomes, I think Philly is the more balanced team. That's fair. I think, to Jake's point, they've been the best team all year long. I mean, Kansas City, if a bounce or two goes the other way, they're not here. I mean, Jacksonville could have beat them. Yep. Certainly Cincinnati could. Guys, I'm going Eagles 30, Kansas City 20. I got Philly winning by 10.
2: Hmm. That'd be cool. You know what? Remember last year, the day after the Super Bowl, when I came in, Mark, remember, and I go, I'm going to take like three teams on. Yep. On DraftKings and put it in. Oh Yeah, you got Philly, don't you? So I'm cashing in if Philly wins. All right,
4: and Monday we'll talk about a new Colts head coach.
2: Yeah, right. We can only hope.
4: Uh, Expect an announcement next week. That will obviously be a big theme. Everybody have a great, great weekend. Enjoy Super Bowl Sunday. We'll talk to you.